All right, well, what a great song, hey? Coldplay, Paradise. And tonight, I, I want to I talk about the pursuit of happiness, not the semi-good movie, but, uh, but our life's pursuit of, of happiness, the, the success, the fulfillment that we look for. And, and I wanted to do it a little bit different tonight. I don't want to just stand up here and, and preach. I thought that maybe we'd have a bit of a, a conversation and explore this topic together, go on a, a little bit of a journey. And, and I really love that song by Coldplay about, uh, about paradise. Because isn't it true, don't you think, in our life that, that we so often are seeking paradise, that we're always looking for that next thing? I think the reality of the way that we live and, and probably the conditioning that we've been subjected to, I guess, by what we would call the world, which is everything around us, is that we're always trying to seek the next thing in our life. We're always looking for what the next season is going to be. It might be the next career change, the next car we want to buy, the next uh, house we're dreaming of, the, when the kids are old enough that we can travel when we're old enough that we can retire and travel, we're always kind of seeking this, this, uh, this next level of where we're going to be in our life. And that's what this song is really about, is, is about chasing paradise. But the thing I've realized about life, and, and I look around the room and I'm fortunate to be, have a few less gray hairs than some of you, and now some less friends. That's, uh, <laughs> sorry, Witchy. Um, not off to a good start about happiness, are we? But I've noticed something, e- even in my few short years, uh, that it's like when we are pursuing the next level in our life or the next season, that's, that's really all it becomes is the next level. It's like we get to the point, we climb the mountain and we think, well, we're at the top now. Can we tick the box of happiness, of success, of fulfillment? But climbing that mountain, getting to that level, getting to that milestone in our life, all it really does is show us that we're just at the foothill, we're just at the bottom of the next level. And we continue to seek in our life, when are we going to get to that point? where we can tick the box of happiness, of fulfillment. We're all always hoping to climb a mountain and find a plateau and achieve something, but really all we do is just get to the next step. And I think about this in terms of, um, I remember when I, I finished high school and I got my first full-time job. And I think back to now, to what I earned every week. And, uh, wow. <laughs> You know, it, I thought it was everything, but uh, it's, uh, you know, first year out of high school, traineeship, wasn't great. But, uh, but I remember the time that I got my first pay rise, and I think, um, I think it, it, it was about $40 a week, and I was over the moon, $40, incredible. Some of you young guys are probably like, 40 bucks, that's awesome. It's like three packs of Pokemon cards. Uh, but I remember someone said to me when I was all excited about my first ever pay rise, they said, you will learn to spend whatever you earn. 
really quickly. And it's true, that, that $40 pay rise that felt so amazing at first really quickly just became normal. And I think to what, what I'm kind of blessed to earn now through work to support my family and, and I know that I have, I have a house to look after and three kids and, and a dog and I don't have guinea pigs anymore because we bought a dog, but that's another story. And... Uh, yeah, don't ever get me to build a cage for your small animals. <laughs> many things I can do, but that's just, yeah, not one of them. But I think about, you know, what, what's in my life now, and it, it's true. I have just expanded my life, and in good ways too, to just accommodate the level that I achieved at. If someone sat me down when I was 17 and delivering pizzas for a job, and said, this is what you're going to earn when you're 35, I would have been like, surely when I get to that point, that I'm going to have that plateau of success in my life. But the thing is, we get to these stages in our life, no matter whether it's a $40 pay rise or whether it's a new house, and we just realize that we're just about to jump to another level. There's just something else that now we want to achieve. It's just the conditioning that the world or, or just our human nature has led us to follow. And I want to explore that tonight. I want to think about, you know, what's it going to take for us as individuals working together as part of this church family about when, when are we ever going to get that pursuit of happiness where we're going to be able to tick the boxes and say, my life is fulfilled. My life, I'm happy with the way things are going regardless. I'm happy. But firstly, I want to talk about microwaves. Have you ever thought about how, I know that's random, but, but have you ever thought about a microwave? Like you put something in it, it has no contact with anything, and it like heats up, cooks, explodes, all these things, and, and nothing, like... I think microwaves are just absolutely fascinating. But what's what I find more interesting is the way they were um, the way they were invented. It was a guy named Percy Spencer. There he is, good-looking fella. In uh, in 1945, and he was messing around with a microwave-emitting magnetron, which, of course, you all know. But that's what's in a radar. You knew, you guys knew that. I had to look on Wikipedia. Uh, but he was messing around with this, with this uh, thing. And he noticed that the chocolate bar he was, had in his pocket that he was saving for playtime uh, began to melt, probably whilst his internal organs were also getting cooked. <laughs> but he worked out that these microwaves were melting the chocolate. And here we have the accidental discovery slash invention of the microwave. Something that, whether you like them or not, has revolutionised the way that homes and even uh, cafes and restaurants and places like that warm food, cook food. Like it's, If you think about it, it's totally changed the world in the way that we handle food, but it came from an accidental discovery and the partial burning of internal organs. Another accidental discovery in 1943 was by a guy named Richard James. 
And he was a Navy engineer and he was attempting to, uh, to create some kind of spring that could protect the sensitive equipment that they used on their Navy ships while they were uh, out at sea. And as he was working on a prototype, he knocked one off the bench. And instead of crashing to the ground, it kind of gracefully slinked its way to the ground and back over. And uh, we can attribute this man for accidentally inventing the slinky. Another thing that has changed the world, right? Look at him. Look how excited he is. He invented the slinky. Here's another, this is a personal favorite. You guys will like this one. 1853, George Crum, who wasn't a baker, great name for a baker, but he was a chef in New York. And uh, one day he had a patron in his restaurant that was sending back his bowl of French fries saying that they were not cooked enough. He was not happy. So out of spite, he grabbed a potato and instead of turning it into chips, he uh, sliced it really thin, popped it in the deep fryer and probably stood there and cursed the patron while he purposely overcooked it and then drowned it in salt sent it out to his, his uh, customer and invented, accidentally, the potato chip or the crisp. Now, seriously, you can have a microwave, you can have a slinky, but imagine the world without salt and vinegar chips. Excellent. But I think these are great examples of how things were discovered. Here we have some things that had, had one purpose and one intention, and we use them for one thing, but just out of accident, we actually discovered that they had a whole nother purpose, a whole nother reason for existing, a whole nother thing they could do, that, that some of them genuinely became ways that changed the world, like the microwave. And the question I want to pose tonight is, could it be possible that as you sit here in this room tonight, that you may very well be an accidental, world-changing discovery just waiting to happen. That perhaps if your true purpose in life was unlocked, that the world would be a better place. These things were serving different purposes, had no intention of ever becoming a salt and vinegar chip. But through an accident, through an event, through something that changed, they unlocked a whole different purpose. And could that be what's sitting on your life right now? A whole purpose that you haven't even discovered about your life yet that could be absolutely world Changing Is it too far-fetched to believe? I want to suggest that it isn't. But perhaps we've become so conditioned by the culture and the world that we live in that we become more guided towards unlocking the next level of our life rather than unlocking the purpose for our life. And see, I believe that Happiness in our life is found when we actually discover our purpose for our life. And this weekend we, we had a camp for wildfire. We're up at 
Port Stephens and I got lucky to grab the camera and we asked some of our awesome, amazing wildfire people, what do they think makes a happy life? And so we're going to hear some of their answers now. I think for me to live a happy life, I need to be chasing after the right things, which for me is chasing after God's heart and his desires for me and to surround myself with love and good nature and supportive family and friends. Uh, I think a happy life is a life lived with love, uh, love of God, love of family, love of each other, and that's it. There's lots of things that... um, make a happy life but I think for me personally is knowing that I'm where I'm meant to be and I'm doing exactly what God wants me to be and that makes my life happy. What makes a happy life would be a family and friends? Uh, I think it's about uh, learning how to appreciate and be comfortable with what you've got at whatever point in life you're actually at. For me what makes a happy life is having friends around me. A happy life is having supportive family. A happy life is appreciating the little things that mean something to you. To me, a happy life doesn't run in sync for what the world says is success. Um, To me, I think it's just making sure that I'm surrounded by love and joy um, and all things that those encompass. So the people I surround myself in, the things that I do and um, what I believe in. Um, When passion and purpose collide. Awesome bunch of young people there that without any prompting by myself, I promise, all, all came up with answers to what makes a happy life that didn't involve a single material thing or life achievement. They all came down to loving others and living a purposeful life. And when Ebony said that at the end, the collision of passion and purpose in your life, well, that absolutely floored me. I had to go away and rewrite half of this message. (laughs) But it's just such a great explanation of happiness of life is when we discover the thing that we are passionate about and link it to a purpose for actually getting out of bed in the morning. And it doesn't matter what levels of life we're unlocking, what car we drive, where we live. If we are passionate and purposeful, if we live a life for a purpose and on purpose, then I believe that's where we can sit back, no matter the circumstance that we live in, and tick a box and say, I am fulfilled. I am happy. And Eb's a great example, and I didn't tell her I was going to talk about it tonight, but we've heard her talk about... (laughs) I'm getting the look. Um, We've heard her talk about Homework Club this morning and tonight. Three and a half years ago, she sat down with me with, with this vision of helping young people who had lost their confidence in school to achieve their dreams in life 
because they struggled with, with education. And she just talked about how she wants to help these young people. And, and we've had testimonies of, of uh, teenagers come in who have, who have had incredible dreams for where they wanted to go with their career into medicine but didn't have the, the, the educational prowess to get there. But through Homework Club have had that dream restored. And we have so many young people in there now. And, and it's all because Eb one day went, I have a passion for teaching. I have a passion. She's a teacher, if you didn't know. I have a passion for seeing young people not get, not, not lose their confidence because they struggle a little bit with getting their homework in on time or, or knowing how to do it. And she coupled a passion with a purpose and found fulfillment in that. Now, the reason why I want to talk about it is because there's, there's, there's a lot of success stories that we can talk about. But there's also the times when Eb was the only one there on a Monday. No one turned up. There was the times when, when she didn't have a wonderful group of volunteers that helped her. There were the times that she was tired, that she was exhausted, that she was worn out. And you see, what I believe is that if, if we're working through our life looking for the next level to unlock, then it's those times on a Monday afternoon where Ed would think, well, I could go and work on my own studies. I could grab a couple of extra shifts. I could work myself towards the next level, but... She knows, because she said it, the happiness is when passion or the collision of passion and purpose together. And that's what keeps her turning up every Monday with or without her amazing team, regardless of what's going on there. And there's a great passage that I want to explore really quickly that Paul talks about in Second Corinthians. It's one of my favorites at the moment, because I think we have to think about this. There are times when the collision of our passion and our purpose, we still have to face the reality of the world that we live in. We still have to face the, the things that come up, the challenges. And Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who, who uh, taught us so much about what we now know about God, uh, just an incredible guy. He, he wrote this to the, the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6. And I, I think it's a great study to look at tonight before we go and burn things. Because you've heard me talk about my love for fires. And, uh, and understand what it's like to live a life where, where passion and purpose collide. He says, uh, as God's partners, we beg for you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. We live in such a way that no one will stumble. So this is Paul talking about how he lives his life for someone who is living out passion and purpose collided. 
We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. This is where it gets interesting, living a life of the collision of passion and purpose. Verse 8, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our heart aches and we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing. And yet, we have everything. If that was the job description in a newspaper, for a life of the collision of passion and purpose, to find happiness and fulfillment in what God has called you to do, how many applications do you think we would get? A life of calamity, of heartbreak, of being beaten, of having nothing, of giving everything Away. But I love this next verse, and in particular, the way that the message paraphrase puts it. It says, Dear, dear Corinthians, or dear, dear North Lakeians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. Now, this has to be the greatest confusion. I think I have faced in the past few years because Paul has just listed a job description for this life of living our purpose that would be seen as a joke if it was printed in a paper. But yet he says that he cannot wait for us to enter this wide open spacious life. I think it's the greatest confusion that I've, I've had to face when looking at Scripture over the last few years. Because you think about it. Paul says, live a life of the collision of passion and purpose and find happiness and fulfillment. But you're going to face some of the toughest times in your life, yet you will still call it a wide, open, spacious life. Think about what Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all men, the Great Commission. Paul says, this is the life that you're going to face if you do that. But Jesus said in John chapter 10, and we love to quote it, that he came to give us life abundant. How does that even balance out? How does that make sense? How can Paul list that he's been beaten until nearly killed, but... I invite you to be part of this wonderful, amazing, abundant life of wide, open spaces. 
Isn't it true, though, that when we weigh up the cost of serving God, taking up the challenge when calling comes, that living a life on purpose and for a purpose seems so out of balance when we look at it this way. It's, it's no wonder that the conditioning of our culture, with no one held to blame for this, is to chase levels in our life rather than the collision of passion and purpose that might bring true happiness but can bring a great cost to our life, a great cost of sacrifice, of having to give things up, of having to put everything into God's hands rather than our own. Now, I mean, it's okay to chase a career. It's okay to buy a big house. But what's not okay is when we try and find our sense of happiness and purpose in those things. Because we only find them in the purpose that God gives us. The life of calling that Paul talks about here. Now this confusion of how, how, we, how it can be balanced that we can have an abundant life, let f- yet face the challenges of living a life on purpose, never made sense to me until I saw a movie. And yeah, I-, I do believe that God speaks to me through movies. It's great. Say, so Mel, I've got to go to the movies tonight. I need to hear from God. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't do that. I have Netflix. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I believe that God speaks to me in lots of different ways and speaks to you. Music, movies, all these kind of things. And there's a movie that came out quite a few years ago. You either love it or you hate it, and it's called Unbreakable. It stars Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. And it's a very different movie, the way that it's written, the way that it's produced. Uh, just, it's different. That's why you either love it or you hate it. I personally love it. But this movie... I know it's not the Bible. I'm not trying to say that you can watch movies and get your spiritual foundations from movies. (laughs) But this movie helped me to paint a picture and understand how do we balance the life of living our calling versus an abundant life and an open, spacious life. How we balance it. It's a great movie. It's... um, yeah, there's Brucey. Bruce, Bruce plays a guy uh, named David Dunn. Now, David Dunn was a former college football player. He, he retired because of injury, but he wasn't really injured. He just fell in love with a girl who didn't like football. And so he gave up his career and his dreams, and, and he ended up working as a security guard for a college football stadium. And on the outside, everything looks good, and wife, son... His house looks pretty good in the movie. He's got a great career around the thing that excites him, football. But David's not good. He says in the movie that he wakes up every morning with a, a sick feeling in his stomach. He might share a house with his wife, but they're in different bedrooms and he's trying to get a job in a different city so he can move away because life's just not great for him. Every time that he's shown in the movie, it's always raining, it's always dark he never smiles which is not unusual for Bruce Willis 
But everything about David Dunn is just portrayed as this life that is not fulfilled and not happy. The other character is a guy named Elijah Price. No relation to any prices here. And he's completely different to David. He's, got a, he's born with a, a disease that makes his bones break. And, uh, and they're brittle and, and he's, he's uh, not well. And because of that, when he was a kid, uh, the other children used to tease him and call him Mr. Glass because he broke so easy. And those two things meant that he spent a lot of time by himself and that gave him a love for comic books. And that's what the movie is, is based on. There he is there. He has this interesting theory that comic books are an ancient form of storytelling. That over the hundreds of years, what was once a true story has been exaggerated to capes and tights and, and laser vision and flying. But he has this belief that perhaps there are people in the world who have been given particular skills and attributes for the purpose of protecting other people. Now him and David connect because David survives a a train accident. There's a train crash where 150 people or something die and David walks away from it without a scratch on his body. And so Elijah finds him and, and proposes to him perhaps... You are one of these superheroes that in ancient times they talked about. You might not be able to fly, but you have some skills about you that have been purposed to save and protect other people. And so through the movie, David goes around exploring this, and this is a scene where he works out that he has unusual strength, that he can almost bench as much as Geordie Griffiths on a Monday morning. But he discovers this about himself, that he does have these skills, these giftings about his life that are for the purpose of protecting other people. Elijah says to him at one point, you know what the scariest thing is? To not know your place in the world, to not know why you are here. That's, that's just an awful feeling. You see, he starts to believe this to be true. So he goes to Elijah and Elijah says, well, you need to go where the people are. You need to find out what your purpose is. And the movie concludes with David actually using the fact that he is stronger than the average man, that he does not get hurt, and that he can perceive things about people's intentions. And he uses that to save a family's life and rescue some children. And the movie ends, and this is the point I want to make about the collision of passion and purpose in our life. The movie ends with David waking up the next morning. He doesn't feel unwell when he wakes in the morning. Not only that, the whole feel of the movie changes. The sun's out, it stopped raining. He and his wife, you you can tell that that their relationship is restored. The sun comes down for breakfast. They're they're happy. And this this is what the movie taught me, is that when you truly find fulfillment 
happiness, and tick the box of success when we actually live the purpose that we were intended for. David still worked the same job at the college, still lived in the same house, still had the same relationship with his wife, still drove the same car. But what triggered in his life, what changed, was he went from not using the gifts and talents that he had been given to protect and save people to activating them in his life. And his life changed at that very point. It's a great movie and that's what it taught me. How do you justify an abundant life but a life that costs us? It's because when we operate with the things and gifts that we're being given in our passion for a purpose, it doesn't matter the cost. It truly doesn't matter because that's not where we find our happiness and the things that we miss out on because we live a life that chases God, it's no longer important to us. The things that we've had to give up on, so to speak. The times that we sacrifice, when we go and minister, when we go and serve, when we join a team, when we go and sit with a neighbour because they need us. When we forego our pride and talk to someone. When we do something, that cost becomes irrelevant because we're not trying to achieve and unlock a new level in our life. We're just operating in our passion, living life for a purpose and finding everything that we are in Him. And I love this, Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. You see, I just feel tonight that if you kind of can relate to this brief explanation of David Dunn's life from the movie Unbreakable where life feels a little glum a little dull like it's always raining that you wake up in the morning and you why get out of bed then I want to challenge you really that the way to change that is not to try and unlock a level in your life of things of this world it's to activate yourself for the purpose that you have been called for everyone in this room whether you feel like you've made mistake after mistake in your life or whether you don't feel that way. The truth is that God said about us that before we were even formed in our mother's womb, that he had a plan for our life. Now the important thing to understand about that, a plan and a purpose, but the important thing to understand is that God exists outside of time. He knows the beginning from the end, which means that 
when he said, this is the purpose that I have for you, he knew everything that you were going to do to try and undermine that, even unintentionally. He knew every mistake. He knew every wrong turn you would make. He knew every time that you would do something to compromise that purpose he has in your life. And he still said, this is the purpose that I have for this person. Every one of us is a superhero like David done. Every one of us has particular skills and talents that God has given us for his purpose in our life. And when we activate those, when we go and be salt and light, when we go and be the church, that's when we tick the box and say happiness, success, fulfillment, regardless of the car I drive or the bed I sleep in. That's where it's at. And I think it's an exciting thing if you're on that journey of discovering your purpose in your life. Keep going. That's where you'll find it. When you chase the purpose that God has for your life. When you do the things that He has asked you to do. That's where happiness comes. That's the pursuit of happiness that we have. I just want to pray before we finish and we'll probably close out with a song before we go and ignite some timber. But just take a moment where you're sitting now just to have a discussion with God. If you've never done that before, it can be quite weird, but just talk to God. And I want to pray for you tonight if, if, if uh, you have not connected the purpose of your life or you have not activated or you do not even know the person that gives you this purpose. And I'm not going to ask you to indicate or anything. I just want to pray for you right where you're sitting now before we go and enjoy some time together as a family. But Lord, we thank you that you care so much for us and that you've never given up on us. Regardless of the pursuits of our life, regardless of the things that we've tried to do in our own strength, regardless of the times that we've made mistakes that have separated us from you and from the purpose for our life, we thank you that you still love us, that you cared so much that you created a way for us to be restored back to you, that you created a way for us that no matter what we've done in our past, we can still have a relationship with you and we can still know your purpose in our life. Lord, I thank you for this group of people and I pray that right now, in this moment, that you activate them, that you speak to them about their purpose, that you remind them of the things that you have given them, the ways that you have created them that are unique and different for your purpose. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray for the journey that people are on, that they would know that you are with them, that you would teach them and guide them along the way. And amen. We thank you and we love you. Amen.